Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 178 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a fantastic week as we push towards Thanksgiving. We're going to be picking the Thanksgiving games this week in the pick'em portion, obviously, since we're not going to be having a show until Black Friday. We'll also pick the Black Friday game, which is a new thing. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, see if that'll catch on. Um, Either way, we just surpassed week 10 in the NFL season, and the American Football Conference is in complete and utter disarray. We'll get into that in a sec. We're going to talk NFC later as well. Check in on the NFC wildcard. Talk about the NFC South, the division that no one wants to win. Again. But before we do all that, we're going to get started, like every episode, with my standout seven. And quite honestly, we're in disarray of our own here. Because there's so many things that we need to touch on in the AFC. We're going to forego the bigger story. We're going to go point by point. And we're just going to go AFC full blitz to start this week's episode. Now, the biggest winner of everything in the American Football Conference from the past week is the Kansas City Chiefs who entered this past week at 7-2 and two and left this past week at 7-2. and two. Now you might say, Nick, they're sitting on a matchup with the Philadelphia Eagles. That would be true. However, in a week where the Cincinnati Bengals season has potentially gone up in flames, the Buffalo Bills season has potentially gone up in flames, um, Baltimore took a tough loss to Cleveland, the Chargers lost to a contender in Detroit, I, I mean, the Raiders are still in it, the Colts are in it, are they? Question mark? Raiders in it is more than the Colts. I don't know. Flip a coin on that one. Either way, number one, first things first, Kansas City riding high. huh? Sitting at home, watching Baltimore lose in Week 10, watching Jacksonville get throttled in Week 10, watching, I mean, like I said, the Bills and the Bengals, two of the preeminent contenders in this conference, Two of the most bet-on teams to win the conference, I would gather, fall not only out of the playoff picture, but fall right now into a four-way tie for the top team not in the playoffs. The AFC is so preposterously crowded, and I said it last week and I'll reiterate it, it is because the NFC has the weak teams. I mean, bottom of the AFC right now, we've got New England at 2-8, Nobody wants to see Bill Belichick with a top pick. We all know that. Tennessee's 3-6, and six, and then immediately you're at 4-5 and five Denver. In the NFC, you've got Carolina at 1-8, and eight, the Cardinals at 2-8, and eight, fresh off a win, the Giants at 2-8, and eight, the Bears at 3-7, and seven, no idea what's going on there, the Rams at 3-6, and six, the Packers at 3-6, and six, the Falcons, fresh off a loss as well, 4-6, and six, Commanders 4-6, and six, Tampa Bay 4-5, and five, and... That's everybody that's not in the playoffs. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Let's jump straight in, folks. Which team would you like to talk about first? Let's keep it chronological, so to speak. And for that reason, we're going to start with the Buffalo Bills. I guess you could argue, well, the Bengals lost earlier in the day, but we're going to do the primetime wrap-up as we go through this. We're going to get to Thursday Night Football in no time. Let's talk Bills-Broncos, huh? The Denver Broncos are not even two months removed 
from giving up 70 points to the Miami Dolphins. Here they are, winners of three in a row. The game they lost before, oh, by the way, the game they lost before that, they lost by 11 to the defending champions. They lost to the Jets, fair enough. They lost to the Commanders by two in a very close game. They lost to the Raiders opening week by one. I said coming into the season, I didn't expect much out of this Broncos team, and I'm not going to toot my own horn and be that guy. The Broncos obviously sitting at four and five. However, they are a combined, what, three points away from flipping that four and five to a six and three, which would be tremendously impressive in terms of a turnaround. I mean, you give up 70 to Miami, they're getting clowned. Rightfully so. They're getting clowned. However, Miami, very, very good skill position players, right? Did they have to give up all those points to the backups too? No, not necessarily. But they go out, they take on Buffalo in Buffalo, and they're winning this game 15-8 to eight at the half. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm kind of half paying attention. I'm not really expecting this to be a full game competitive game, right? And right or wrong, guys, that's just the way it is. I mean, Cortland Sutton had a good touchdown. Tremendous. Okay. Buffalo recovers a fumble along the sideline. All right. I get it. And then we wind up coming down to Denver with the touchdown. I believe they put him at 21 to... I don't remember the score. They missed the PAT, and I've seen enough football games and watched enough WWE wrestling to know, all right, well, that's going to come back later. Of course, we wind up in a 22-21 situation. Denver drives down the field because, of course, they do. Two timeouts left. A minute 55 for Denver, right? Oh, by the way, we just glossed over the fact that Buffalo turned the ball over, I believe, four times in this game. Two fumbles, two interceptions. On the other side, Russell Wilson, 24-29, a buck 93, two touchdowns. Relatively efficient, not super high yardage, but clean. Javante Williams, remember him? 21 for 79 on the ground, doing the job. Russell scrambling a little bit here and there. Uh, Their passing game's still not great. Javante Williams, I was big on him, and I still think he can be a great player. Will it be something that carries them to the playoffs this year? That's not the point. That's not why we're talking about it. Buffalo gets a pass interference on Teron Johnson. Taron Johnson? Doesn't matter. Johnson. Um, Yeah, and it's the same guy that interfered on Darren Waller in the Giant game, a game that Buffalo also should have lost. Not a Buffalo hater. Knock, don't don't even type the comment, Buffalo fan, if where you're listening has comments, or on social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Not a Buffalo hater. Not by any means. The other New York teams in the NFL have not been great. I am a native New Yorker. I have no beef with the Buffalo Bills being the dominant team in the state. However, the chickens came home to roost. You got the call to win it in primetime last time. This time, they couldn't swallow it twice. Couldn't swallow the whistle twice. And then, oh, by the way, for some reason, um, in the interest of avoiding 
a situation that Buffalo encountered a few years ago against Kansas City by leaving just a handful of seconds, and then they go down the field and tie it with a field goal, and you go to OT. Or in this case, it would have been lose by a field goal, uh, by a point. Denver goes, you know what? We're going to run a play here when there's no timeouts on the board. And they run a play, and they sprint the kicker out there. And, of course, just like we all thought he might, he misses it. Peyton Manning, hands on the head, can't believe it, watching the Manning cast. And uh, 12 men on the field. And what follows is interesting. Because the Bills' offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, is fired the next day. Joe Brady, formerly of Carolina, I believe, and LSU at one point, is going to be the interim OC. So, like, it's clear scapegoating, right? Like, I'm not saying Ken Dorsey's the best offensive coordinator in the league. I'm not saying he's the worst offensive coordinator in the league. I'm saying he's the same offensive coordinator you had coming into last year when you were supposed to be the world beaters. He's the same offensive coordinator since Brian Dable has left. I'm saying he's not the guy making Josh Allen throw the ball to the other team. I'm saying this is one of the best running performances the Buffalo Bills have had in terms of production from running backs. You take a look at the stats in this one. Their two lead backs, James Cook and Latavius Murray, go 21 carries for 177 yards. Oh, by the way, the same exact number of yards your star quarterback threw for as he went 15 for 26, which is below 60% completion percentage. Coming out of college, Josh Allen was called a strong-arm prospect, right? The gunslinger comp, the high end would be Brett Favre. The low end, not trying to be that guy, maybe a Jay Cutler sort of situation. I'm not saying Josh Allen is Jay Cutler. I'm saying he certainly looks like him sometimes. You want to go Madden curse? Sure. You want to go Trayvon Diggs talking about how Stefan needs to get out of there? Sure. A little bonkers. Um, to, be, to be fair, though, wide receiver mentality, he might have been saying that anyway, just because he only had three catches in this game, even if they would have won. Not saying Stefan's not a team player. I'm saying Trayvon might have been insinuating that either way because they didn't target his brother enough. Um... It's really weird to me because this Bills team on paper, obviously, is a pretty good team. And you have one glaring thing that sticks out, and it's 11 interceptions from your starting quarterback, and we are now entering week 11. And they're not minor. You also have four fumbles with three of them being lost from Josh Allen your starting quarterback. Um, we're talking about a league where Derek Carr, on the only team he'd ever played for, obviously hasn't ascended per se to the level of Josh Allen, but he was an MVP candidate prior to an injury, was benched and essentially just tossed in the garbage not 12 months ago by the Vegas Raiders, who are now on a different head coach. Oh, by the way. Um, it's interesting to me. That we find ourselves in this conundrum once again where a team is supposed to be really good and we're looking at their QB and kind of pointing the finger at him going like, eh, what are you doing here, buddy? The comp has also been made, and it's fair, between Dak Prescott, who in 
106 career games, has 71 picks. Josh Allen in 87 career games has 71 picks. Um, I don't know what to tell you guys. I mean, we're also, if you think realistically, though, like, Dak's got 3,583 attempts. Josh Allen's got 2,900 attempts. Uh, I'm trying to think how the math would work out. Zach, uh, Dak, excuse me, also had Zeke to lean on. Josh Allen's very pass-centric offense. That doesn't mean you have to throw the ball to the other team. I get it, guys. The comp is fair. I'm just trying to see where it would shake out. Not to mention, either one of them has exactly been in the Super Bowl. Either way, Buffalo is collapsing. Is Buffalo completely out of it? One of the reasons I wanted to discuss this. Is Buffalo dead in the water? They're kind of dead in the water. However, they are in position where they are tied and a half game out of that final playoff spot. Do I think the Houston Texans, who right now are sitting at 5-4, and four, will be able to hold on? Well, let's take a look at their schedule. Who do the C.J. Stroud-led Texans have left? They have Arizona this week. Probably a win, right? Let's call the, Let's leave the Jacksonville game out. One game with Jacksonville. Denver, would it shock you if they won? The Jets, would it shock you if they won? Tennessee, would it shock you if they won? Oh, by the way, they've got Tennessee twice. Then they've got Cleveland and Indy. Cleveland, who's on a backup quarterback. Indy, who's on a backup quarterback. We're looking at a final eight games where I would not be shocked if they won at least five. So we're talking what? You need ten wins to get in. More than ten to top the Texans. And this is not including the rest of the field, by the way. You need more than ten. So that means in the remaining seven games for Buffalo, they're going to need six wins. It's going to be hard. If they can do that with this schedule, they have the Jets this week, all right? Then they go to Philly, to Kansas City. They play the Dallas Cowboys. They play in L.A. against the Chargers. They have one more divisional game against New England on New Year's Eve. And then in January, final week of the year, they are in Miami against the Dolphins. Oof. This might be a resounding disappointment of a season for the Buffalo Bills. Now, it opens the door, and I'm not making the suggestion that it's a move they should make. It opens the door to... Are there more changes needed, either personnel-wise, presumably there would be for personnel, but on the coaching staff? I think Sean McDermott's a pretty good coach. We've seen guys who are good coaches that haven't won the big game get fired. We've seen coaches who have won the big game get fired. Would missing the postseason this year equal a lost job? I don't think if McDermott were made available... On the market, he would go jobless. I think he would get interviews and or get a position this offseason. I don't think it would take long. However, with, let's say, a Jim Harbaugh out on the market, could you woo him away from Michigan and a potential suspension he's going to have to sit through? And who knows what's going to happen to their football program in terms of scholarships and things like that. Playoff suspension, bowl suspension, who knows? 
could you woo him away? Is that the answer? It's not the cure-all. He's never won the big game either. It's intriguing, though. And it it's quite honestly kind of shocking that Buffalo has found themselves in this position. And as I said before, it could be worse. That's the crazy part. The Buffalo Bills are sitting at 5-5. Five and five, And that's with certain things bouncing their way. They win over Tampa Bay by six. The Hail Mary was in the area code. They beat the Giants by five. Questionable call to end the game. I mean, however, I will be that guy. They could easily be eight and two, right? They lose to the Jets on a walk-off punt return when Josh Allen has an awful game. Could have easily been their sixth win, right? They lose to Jacksonville by five. They lose to Cincinnati by six. They lose to Denver by two. A lot of things have bounced their way. A certain amount of things have not bounced their way. The only thing we know for certain is the Buffalo Bills find themselves in quite a pickle. Number two in standout seven, let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, coming into last night's game, the Cincinnati Bengals were sitting at five and four, right? The Baltimore Ravens were sitting at 7-3. A victory would have been 6-4 Bengals and 7-4 Ravens. Game in hand, obviously, for the Bengals. Pretty early in this game, Joe Burrow winds up coming out of it. We later see footage resurface of him coming into the stadium wearing what looks like a brace on his wrist. Then it comes out that he tore a ligament in his wrist. He said the age-old line, I heard something pop. Right? Or I felt something pop, one or the other. Perhaps both. They're dead in the water, even worse than the Buffalo Bills are. We take a look at the Cincinnati Bengals' upcoming schedule. They've got Pittsburgh next. Then Jacksonville. Then Indy. Then the Josh Dobbs-led Vikings. Then Pittsburgh again. Then Kansas City. And they end with the Browns. Some tough defenses. So they've got seven games, and I would say Pittsburgh obviously is tough. Cleveland is tough. Kansas City's Kansas City. Jacksonville, we're talking four, five really tough, grinded-out sort of games. Even if Joe Burrow was there, right? And you're not going to have Joe Burrow, excuse me, you're going to have Jake Browning is the implication. I mean, Joe Flacco is reportedly in the state of Ohio. Maybe they'd consider giving him a call if he doesn't sign with the Cleveland Browns. He was cited on a plane, I believe, going to Ohio, which is kind of hilarious. What went wrong, man? I mean, we don't really need to go through the nuts and bolts of last night's game. We're talking 21-10 at halftime. Burrow gets hurt in the first half, the second half, obviously. They pull away a little more. They put up a little bit of a fight. They do get to 20 points in this game, but not the same without Joe Burrow under center. And unfortunately for them, we're past the trade deadline. There is no magical Josh Dobbs. There is no let's somehow try and pry away a Gardner Minshew even. Or, you know, let's call let's call Jerry Jones and say, no, we want Trey Lance. Let's completely flip the offense for half a year. No, it's, it's Jake Browning and or some practice squad guys. I mean, maybe you can call Carson Palmer and see what he's up to. But is Ryan Fitzpatrick available? Perhaps he was in the building. 
the Cincinnati Bengals are really in quite the pickle. And now there's going to be supposedly an investigation. I just realized, I say number two in the standout seven. Is this two or three? Let's call it three. Kansas City was one. Buffalo's two. Let's go Cincinnati three. Uh, There's going to be an investigation because Joe Burrow was not listed on the injury report as having a wrist injury. What would the punishment be? They said it might be forfeiture of a draft pick or potentially a fine for the team not disclosing his injury. Was it an off-the-field injury? Was it a practice injury? We don't know. I'm not going to speculate and waste your time on that one. You tell me what you think in the comments section. Was it, you know, it wasn't Ioannis Cespedes getting hurt because of a bore or something crazy, you'd assume, or you might have heard about it. But with no Burrow, it's not good. While we're here, though, taking some positivity out of the negative, negative, negative Nancy that we are to start the episode in terms of the contenders in the AFC that were at the least favored to start the year. Let's talk about this game they played against the Houston Texans. I mean, Burrow goes 27 of 40, 347, two touchdowns, throws two picks in this game, a game they wind up losing by three. I don't know, guys. I I had a lot of faith coming into the year, as you all know, in the Cincinnati Bengals. However, I mean, Cincinnati's up in this game. Then Houston turns it around. It's 27-17 Houston. Burrow throws his second pick. C.J. Stroud throws a pick, and it gets returned almost all the way. All of a sudden, Cincinnati's back in it. Cincinnati, 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 until C.J. Stroud does the thing and finds a way with 90 seconds left and a tie game to bring it home. And the reason I bring this up is I talked last week about my pick for the MVP. And I had Jalen Hurts, de facto number one for the most part. I said Lamar Jackson's getting a lot of bit of a lot of a push. I didn't have him at number two. I think I had Mahomes at number two, Jackson at two A maybe, or or three. I'm a two a guy as well. I said C.J. Stroud's a cute candidate. I'm gonna need to see a little more. Okay, well you know, C.J. If you happen to be one of the handful of listeners, thank you so much. Uh, feel free to shoot your number my way, and we can do an interview on the show. Because clearly he shut me up quickly. Now, I wasn't trying to take anything away from a C.J. Stroud. He's been playing tremendous. I said he's a Madden football in real life moment, right? Our team tanked. We're going to draft this guy. He's a super prospect. We're going to hire a former player. We're going to go. and We're just going to turn it around. Well, evidently it worked perfectly for the Texans and C.J. Stroud after the game tremendous quote on being included in the MVP conversation he said they love me this week they'll hate me the next all right that's a little bit of a stretch I don't know if anyone's hating on C.J. Stroud's tremendous rookie season but I understand where he's coming from fair enough very mature quote um wow tremendous for the Houston Texans and good for y'all it's been a rough couple years man good for y'all Not so good, as we said, for the Cincinnati Bengals. Number four in the standout seven. Let's take a wider lens look here at the AFC wildcard picture. In order to do that, we have to look at the division leaders. Right now, the Chiefs are the one seed leading the AFC West, 7-2. Baltimore at 8-3 is leading the AFC North. Jacksonville at 6-3 is leading the AFC South and Miami at 6-3 is leading the AFC East. Those are your top four seeds in order. Wild card. 
believe it or not, you've got the Kenny Pickett-led Pittsburgh Steelers at 6-3. and three. Then the Cleveland Browns, led by now, presumably, P.J. Walker, 6-3. and three. Those teams are playing each other this week. You know, I rip the scheduling sometimes in the NFL. Man, that's a good one. I don't know if they saw this coming, but that is a good one. And our final wildcard team is a team we just talked about, the 5-4 and four Houston Texans. The cluster, or clown fiesta at 5-5, five and five. from 8-11, to 11, you have the Colts at 5-5 five and five on a bye, the Raiders at 5-5 five and five playing the Dolphins, the Bengals at 5-5 five and five have already lost this week, and Buffalo at 5-5 five and five taking on the New York Jets. Then, you have three teams at 4-5. and five. You have the Chargers at 4-5, and five, fresh off of a close loss to Detroit, which maybe we'll open up on a little bit here. Uh, the aforementioned Jets at 4-5, and five, and the Broncos somehow in the hunt, taking on the Josh Dobbs Vikings at 4-5. and five. So what we're describing is, essentially, we have 14 teams in the AFC in playoff contention for seven spots. And realistically, if you take out the division leaders, we have 10 teams for three spots. Oh, by the way, there's division implications in a whole bunch of these matchups. Some of these teams are going to run into each other um, as we go forward. Oh my goodness, it is a clown fiesta in the AFC. We didn't even talk about Baltimore somehow losing to Cleveland in a game where Deshaun Watson, I guess, inevitably was playing through a shoulder injury that was so significant he's going to have season-ending surgery. What? Also, where did they find Jerome Ford? Right? Looking at this Browns team, I thought coming into the year they'd be pretty good. I thought Watson would finally start to pay dividends. Nick Chubb is a baller. We know what their defense can do. Chubb goes down very quickly. Very quickly. And in the nine games he's played this year, Jerome Ford has 124 carries for 532 yards. He's only been a starter for five of them. He had 107 yards in this game against Baltimore. His last 100-yard game, the other divisional game he was in against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Those are two really good defenses. He had 84 yards against San Francisco. What? Where did they find this guy? Jerome Ford balling out for the Cleveland Browns in an offense where they got rid of Donovan Peoples-Jones because who needs to throw the football anyway, right? They've got Elijah Moore. They've got Amari Cooper. They've got Njoku. That's pretty much it in terms of the passing game. The defense doing their thing. Miles Garrett with a sack and a half in this game against Baltimore. And I don't know. Admittedly, Raven fan, I was ready to come on here. And uh, what's the opposite of a mea culpa? Because that's what I just rendered to young C.J. Stroud. I was going to do the opposite. I was going to say, well, I told you I'd be back to rip the Ravens after giving them their, you know, just desserts last week, talking about how good they are, or probably the week before even. Lamar Jackson, 13-23, to two interceptions in a game against Cleveland. Three days before he's going to have to take on Joe Burrow. But you know what? I won't do that. I won't be that guy because the Ravens went out and they beat the Bengals albeit with the help of an injury, but it still counts. Where does Cleveland fit into this playoff hunt? Without Deshaun Watson on the back of their defense and Jerome Ford, can they make the postseason? 
Right now they've got the inside track, but I don't even know how their game against Pittsburgh is going to go. Before we move on from the AFC, let's touch on a couple more of these teams. Are the Raiders and or Jets contenders? Probably not. Right? Aiden O'Connell leading the Raiders. I like Josh Jacobs. I like Devontae Adams. I like Antonio Pierce, Max Crosby. There's a lot of pieces there, but I don't know if I can trust O'Connell in a playoff run, realistically. Uh, The Jets, it all relies upon if Aaron Rodgers is witch doctor, gave him enough ayahuasca, and he was able to enter the ethereal plane and heal his Achilles, right? That's really what we're talking about. I think we're asking a lot of an aging QB. It was interesting to me, there's a headline the Athletic ran with, at least on a push notification today, I don't know if they changed it on the article, is it too much for Joe Burrow? The Bengals quarterback has battled so many injuries, ultimately he's still human. We are talking about that in the same season where Aaron Rodgers is apparently, or supposedly, planning a return within the next month from an Achilles injury he suffered in September. If Aaron Rodgers can come back in three months from an Achilles injury, Joe Burrow can be fine by next season, right? I have no doubt about it. Joe Burrow actually, since the bye week, now that the calf looked a little better, did look improved. The two interceptions against Houston, obviously not great. No quarterback is perfect, but the mobility looked significantly better. And he looked more like Joe Burrow than usual. I tend to think he'll bounce back. Uh, I say all that to say this. If Rodgers doesn't come back, I'm not buying the Jets. I'm not buying the Raiders. Who else do we have here? Pittsburgh. Very interesting. I think I would sooner buy Pittsburgh than Cleveland, but it's it's really 1 and 1A in terms of great defense. And what are we going to get from the offense? Who knows? Although I am a bit of a Kenny Pickett fan, I wouldn't say that Kenny Pickett's play this year has necessarily made me more of a fan. It really spawned off of some of the stuff I saw from him last year, as well as the fake slide and some of the things he pulled out at Pitt, University of Pitt, not Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Either way, what else do we have? We're not going to talk about Jacksonville getting blown out too much. San Francisco off a bye. They weren't going to lose another one in a row. It is what it is. Sometimes you get blown out. The Chargers, though. The Chargers, though. Um, They give up almost 200 yards on the ground. They give up 300-plus through the air. Amon Ross St. Brown has 150 receiving yards by himself. Uh, Come on, guys. I mean, I can't really hate on the offense too bad. Herbert does throw a pick in this one. 27-43, to 23-4 touchdowns. Eckler goes for three and a half yards a carry. The running game wasn't tremendous, but it was there. They rushed for just under 100. Keenan Allen was balling out. I believe he had a separated shoulder. Or No, no, no. He had an AC joint sprain he suffered in this one. They're missing Mike Williams bad. That is apparent. But I think the writing might be on the wall for Brandon Staley. Personally, if they don't make a run to the postseason and or at least win a game in the postseason. Their schedule remaining, they've got Green Bay this week, winnable. They've got Baltimore, tough. They've got New England, winnable. Denver, winnable. Raiders, Bills, Broncos, Chiefs. The Bills are floundering, but they're still relatively healthy. That could be a tough one. Is Kansas City even going to need that game? 
Week 18, will Kansas City even need to care about that matchup? Because if they don't, then you're looking at a Charger team that can beat Green Bay, they can beat New England, they can beat the Broncos, I think at least once, they can beat the Raiders, and then they might have a freebie with Kansas City. That would only put them in nine wins. It is crowded. Pittsburgh and Cleveland are already both at six, and they're playing each other. you think somebody'd have to win, theoretically. Could be a 3-3 tie for all we know. All right, so there's our very, very, very long-winded AFC roundup. And in the meantime, we talked about the primetime games. We didn't talk too much about Jets Raiders. There's not much to be said. Number five in the standout seven. I want to do an NFC South check-in. Right? So the NFC South right now, 5-5 five and five New Orleans, 4-5 and five Tampa Bay, 4-5, and five Atl- excuse me, 4-6 and six Atlanta, 1-8 Carolina Panthers. I don't know if anyone wants to win this division. I said it in the lead of the episode. I, how do you lose to Kyler Murray in his first game back? I mean, Heineke doesn't finish this game, right? 8-15 of and a touchdown. They passed for under 100 yards as a team. Guys. Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson. I, I I don't get it. But, you know, maybe maybe it's, it's much more complicated than you and I, you, whoever's listening right now, and I give credit to. Because for years, I remember watching New York Giants games and thinking, why can't they get Beckham more involved? And it came down to a little bit of scheme and a little bit of, well, the other team's going to throw two guys at him. What are you going to do? Yeah, but when you have a super athletic tight end and a big body wide receiver and a tremendous athlete running back in Bijan Robinson, coupled with Tyler Algier, who's pretty good, and Cordero Patterson, who, oh, by the way, used to be a receiver, you tend to think, and by you I mean me, this could result in some very explosive offensive plays. Could this not result in Miami Dolphins' level of, we're going to run past you? Right? Cordero's got speed. Bijan's got speed. Kyle Pitts is really quick for a tight end. I, no, it's not. Apparently, it's not. Apparently, it's going to result in a two point loss to Kyler Murray on the Call of Duty release weekend, which is, he gets a buff, you know, every one of those weekends. That's one of his favorite weeks of the year, is what we're always told. Um, come on, guys. I mean, Trey McBride goes for eight catches a buck thirty. Like, at least let it be Hollywood Brown, where he's just running through you. What are we doing, guys? Who else do we have contending in this division? Well, we have Tampa Bay winning a pretty, pretty good one at home against Tennessee. Not like Tennessee's a great team, but considering Tampa Bay's been iffy this year, this keeps them in the hunt. Baker goes for 278, two touchdowns and a pick. Not much out of the running game, but the defense looked good against the rookie QB. Then you have New Orleans, who, I I mean, going into last week, let's just double check this in my picks here, yeah? Going into last week, I said, hmm, this is a game that New Orleans probably should win. Playing against Josh Dobbs, he didn't even know how to get to the home locker room. But of course they won't win because they haven't been playing well this season. Derek Carr gets hurt in this game. Jameis comes in and does what Jameis does. Two touchdowns, two picks. Makes it close-ish. They lose by eight. But realistically, when push came to shove, Josh Dobbs goes 
23-34, 268 in a touch, right? Ty Chandler out of nowhere, 15 carries for them. Dobbs was running all over the place. They ran for over 100 yards, which is something they haven't been able to do too, too much this year, I believe. Oh, by the way, TJ Hawkinson, 11 catches for a buck 30. Jordan Addison pitches in 70. Justin Jefferson is on the mend eventually here. Nobody wants to win the NFC South. Again, the second year in a row. You know, it makes me wonder, and I don't know too much about European soccer. I don't know too much about soccer anywhere. I guess they would call it football, European football. Um, how does like redistrict, redistricting and or not relegation, because obviously there's no lower league, would it be possible or even considerable for the NFL to shift around some divisions? Like, how many years in a row would you need to witness this before you'd shift it around? I tend to think it won't become a problem, right? But just food for thought, right? Like, would it be four years in a row? Five years in a row? I don't think it's going to get to that point. Usually in the NFL, things ebb and flow, right? We saw this with the NFC East a few years ago. Sometimes it just happens. But it's just weird. It's just when you see them go out, New Orleans goes and gets a new QB. Carolina obviously drafts a QB. Tampa Bay signs Baker Mayfield. Atlanta was almost the division winner last year. Should be the team on the come up. Doesn't seem to be that. Alrighty, that'll bring us to the end of the NFC South segment. Don't worry about it. Before we move on to the pick'em portion, two more things to touch on. Let's just go, since we did the whole AFC, let's give you the lay of the land in the NFC just in a concise way here. I think we touched on it, but we'll keep it. Just one more little summary for you. Philly leading the East, 8-1. They're the one seed. Detroit leading the North, 7-2. They're the two seed. San Fran leading the West is 6-3. They're the three seed. The New Orleans Saints on the bye are leading the South. They're at 5-5. Five five. They're the four. Seattle, 6-3. They're the five. Dallas, 6-3 is the six. And the Vikings, 6-4 are the seven. On the outside looking in, we have one team at 4-5. and five. It's Tampa Bay. Then tied for ninth, we have Washington at 4-6. And, and the Falcons at 4-6. Behind them, we have Green Bay and, and the Rams at 3-6. The Bears at 3-7. We don't need to go that far. There's the NFC playoff picture. I tend to think right now with the way Josh Dobbs is playing with Minnesota, they're a scary team. Seattle has beaten a lot of these lower tier NFC teams. Even they beat Washington, who I thought would be kind of a fringe playoff team in the NFC. So they're in a pretty good spot as well. The NFC is shaping up. I said it was the weaker conference coming into the year, and I think it has been, but it's shaping up in terms of power level here for a nice little playoff push. Number seven in the standout seven is one that is not really on the field. And I like to usually keep it on the field or as close to on the field as you can. We'll mention in passing some of the things that we see off the field with players, whether it be arrests or things that are going to affect availability or bizarre things like that, like suspensions or, you know, if we get some funny comments or whatever. But this one doesn't really have to do with players. It more has to do with NFL media. So if you've watched Thursday Night Football, you've seen Carissa Thompson. I believe it's Carissa or Charissa. I believe it's Carissa. Carissa Thompson, who does a pretty good job, um, I guess you'd call it hosting or anchoring the pre- and post-game coverage, as well as the halftime show coverage with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tony Gonzalez, I believe, and Richard Sherman. 
you know, a whole cast of characters. They put together a good show at Amazon. And I don't explicitly know the context of the remarks that she made recently. But per Bleacher Report, she was talking to Barstool's Pardon My Take. And she said, I've said this before, so I haven't been fired for saying it, and I'll say it again. I would make up the report, sometimes because the coach wouldn't come out at halftime, or it was too late, and I didn't want to screw up the report. So I was like, I'm just going to make it up. First of all, no coach is going to get mad if I say, hey, we need to stop hurting ourselves. We need to do better on third down. So those were her remarks, and then here are her comments after the fact via her Instagram. Let's address the elephant in the room. I have a responsibility to myself and my employers to clarify what is being reported. When on a podcast this week, I said I would make up reports early in my career when I worked as a sideline reporter because I tra- before I transitioned to my current host role. Working in media, I understand how important words are, and I chose the wrong words to describe the situation. I'm sorry. I have never lied about anything or been unethical during my time as a sports broadcaster. Um, so, like, here's the thing. I'm not going to come down and, and be Mr. Arbiter of Ethics, Mr. Morris. For those of the Saved by the Bell fans out there, the three people that remember the episode where they talked about ethics on that show. Uh, I'm not going to be that guy, right? I easily could. But the fact of the matter is, you know, if you look up my, if you're interested in my background at all, uh, I went to journalism school, right? Went to college, state college, majoring in journalism, double majoring. And it would not shock me if there were people both in the field that I knew, they did it then or people that are pushing their way up the ranks, or people that have gotten as far as Miss Thompson that, or Mrs. Thompson, rather, um, that might embellish here and there, or might fill in the blanks if they needed to. And I don't necessarily think, since she is in a host position, she's not nec- she wouldn't realistically be in a situation in this position where her ethical standpoint on certain things is paramount or, or at the forefront. However, to blatantly say in the interview, first of all, if you're going to do something like that, like when you're talking about it like this, I'll be honest with you, it comes across as bragging to me. I, I read the quote, maybe in the audio, it sounds different. Maybe she's a little more bashful or something. I don't know. I mean, she doesn't owe me anything, but as someone that is, I would say, very successful hosting the Thursday night football coverage for Amazon. Someone who's very successful in the industry, in the NFL, where there's only so many of these jobs, um, to come across and say explicitly, I've said this before and I haven't been fired, so I'll say it again. Like, come on. Come on. Not to mention, you, you don't even have to go in this can of worms. You don't have to open it. You don't. And I know maybe, like I said, it implies that she felt like, well, I opened it before, so I might as well... No, you don't. Just... Just don't. Um, the other thing I would say is, considering we are in sports, rather than something a little bit more serious, the ethical implications are not as grand, right? This isn't someone covering an embassy or a local police precinct or a school board to where you're misattributing and making up quotes would actually have a legitimate impact potentially on the way people view certain things in their community or the way they perceive certain things. 
we're talking about a sideline reporter filling in the blanks in a situation where it was inconvenient for the coach to do the interview or something like that. And if there was no backlash ever, because why would the coach go back and watch the halftime segment when they're reviewing film, then I guess it is what it is. But I I don't think necessarily you should be advertising that, right? I'm not saying, you know, I guess I am saying, as someone who's in a successful position in the sports journalism industry, you shouldn't put that out there because there are inevitably young journalists or even children, right, who are aspiring to, I want to do that. Mommy, daddy, I want to host that. I can do that. I like football, right? Particularly, it's not a great look. Don't put this out there. If you're going to do it, make it the deep, dark secret no one knows about. Talk about it when you're like Al Michaels' age, right? Don't talk about it when you're in the prime of your career. Like I said, I have no ill will towards her. I couldn't, I didn't know the lady from anybody. She doesn't know me either, right? But it, it's not a great look, and it's really not a great idea. And to people out there, if there is anyone out there who's going into journalism or in the field, don't do this. Please don't do this. And if you're going to do this, please do not advertise that you are doing this, right? Don't make it apparent that, oh yeah, you could just skate by, look at it. I did it before, and I, I kept getting promoted and promoted. It was like we've seen the stories of reporters doing this, where they make up sources or they lie about interviews, and they just go up and up and up and up, right? I remember, you know, in college, we're in a closed sort of community. If you need a source for something that's a student, maybe you might talk to somebody you know. Even that, realistically, is not really ethical, but that's not something that I guess would be more punishable, because you're still talking to a student, it just happens to be a student source that you know. Completely making it up, though. Like, I read the stat sheet, I think the coach would be mad about this. Then you're tr- you're kind of pushing the line between sideline reporter, you're not reporting, you're more of an analyst. Which is a position, like, that exists, right? But, I guess it depends on the way you'd spin it. I wonder if anyone's going to dig through... I don't think anyone cares enough. But if anyone were to dig through the old tapes, right? Her old clips in her book, if you will. Clips in her uh, her reel, rather, of her doing this. They could find one. I don't even know how you would even know. If it's something where she'd say, instead of... Oh, Coach Harbaugh said this. You'd say, you know, with the way they played in the first half, you have to imagine Coach Harbaugh, blah, blah, blah. And then you're not misattributing, really. You're kind of just speculating, right? Which is completely fine. If you're clear about what you're doing, if you're speculating, I don't think anyone would have an issue with that. Alright, I don't know if you all cared about that. I don't know if you caught that story. But uh, it's just something I felt the need to mention. Because especially, you know, I'm not going to go all preachy on you. But depending on your viewpoint right now in uh, more important matters, right? And realistically, I wouldn't even say it matters your viewpoint, because I think both sides, in terms of politics and things, tend to think that the other side will embellish, or they will cherry-pick facts, or they will do this, that, and the third, and that's just a toxic climate that we're in, right? And unfortunately, due to this, and it does happen, right? That's why people believe it. They believe it because it does happen now and again. Um, More than now and again, if we're being frank... The last thing you want is yet another person saying, oh yeah, they don't care about ethics. Oh yeah, they don't fact check anything. 
Oh, yeah, just make it up. Sure. And this is coming, I think, last week or two weeks ago, there was another thing with Troy Aikman talking about, I think he attributed a quote to a player when in actuality he talked to a coach, and the coach told him that the player felt X, Y, Z. But in reality, the player took exception to Troy Aikman attributing to him because they had never spoken, so how could he know that he felt that way, and yada, yada, yada. It's, look, it's not all walking on eggshells, guys, but sometimes it's the simple stuff, right? It's the simple stuff that will trip you up. Either way, can't all be football and sunshine and roses. Sometimes we got to talk about the nitty-gritty, unfortunately, and honestly, like I said before, I try to keep it out of the show, but this is one of the things I, I kind of wanted to discuss, because it's kind of, kind of odd, if I'm being honest. That being said, that'll bring us to the end of a long and tumultuous standout seven. And that brings us to my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode, the pick'em portion of this week's episode. And we'll get started this week on the state side, no games over in Europe, with an AFC North matchup between two wild card teams as of right now. The Pittsburgh Steelers head to Cleveland to take on the Deshaun Watsonless Browns. Pittsburgh going to be without D-tackle Montravius Adams with an ankle injury, as well as two safeties, Minka Fitzpatrick with a hammy and Keanu Neal with a rib. Questionable, they're starting tight end Pat Fryermuth with a hammy as well. The Browns can be without wide receiver Marquise Goodwin, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as safety Juan Thornhill with a calf injury. Questionable, two O-linemen, Dewan Jones with a knee and Michael Dunn with a calf. This is an interesting matchup. Two teams that are very, very defense-heavy, right? Najee Harris toting the ball for Pittsburgh. Jerome Ford, newly found, toting the ball for the Cleveland Browns. I shouldn't say newly found, but new lead back. Um, Who's going to give you more? Who's going to cost you more in terms of Kenny Pickett or P.J. Walker? I think it really is a crapshoot. You have Miles Garrett trying to wreck the game on one side, T.J. Watt trying to wreck the game on the other. This truly should be a pick 'em toss-up game. I'm going to take Pittsburgh. I'm going to take Mike Tomlin to find a way to put his team in the right spot when it matters. Give me Pittsburgh to win this one on the road. Our next 1 o'clock kick is Antonio Pierce's first real test as the coach of the Raiders as the Vegas Raiders head to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Raiders, just three on their injury report. Two O-linemen and Colton Miller with a shoulder, and Dylan Parham with a calf, and safety Roderick Teamer with a hammy, all listed as questionable. Dolphins, on the other hand, they're going to be without three. Wide receiver Chase Claypool with a knee, and two O-linemen in Rob Jones and Rob Hunt with a knee and hammy, respectively. Questionable, potential return for Devon Achan in this one, the explosive running back for the Miami Dolphins. He's coming off a knee injury. Also questionable, Fellow running back Alec Ingold with a foot injury. Wide receiver Braxton Berrios with a hammy. And tight end Durham Smythe with an ankle. It would be a bold pick to take Aiden O'Connell and the Raiders to win this one on the road after they beat the awful contingency of football that is the Giants and Jets. I like Antonio Pierce, but not enough to intentionally kind of... I mean, this is really going to be a hard one for them. (laughs) Give me Miami to win this one at home and improve to 7-3. and three. Next, we've got an AFC North battle as the Chicago Bears head to Ford Field to take on the Detroit Lions. 
The Bears going to be without linebacker Noah Sewell with a knee injury. Questionable. Running back Deontay Foreman with an ankle. And two linebackers, Tremaine Edmonds with a knee and Jack Sanborn with an ankle slash illness. Lions going to be without an O-lineman and a D-lineman in Jonah Jackson with a wrist injury and Isaiah Bugs with an illness. Also questionable if he too Melifonwu at safety for the Detroit Lions. No matter who the Bears are rolling out there at quarterback, it could be Peyton Manning, it could be Michael Vick. It's hard for me to think that they beat Detroit in this one. Detroit's got to put some distance between them and Minnesota now that Minnesota has a quarterback. It looked like the floor was falling through on their season. They pick up Dobbs. They're kind of in a rhythm. They were in a rhythm before Cousins got hurt, realistically. Um, Just had a really rough start. They need to put some distance between them and the Vikings. I think they'll do that this week. Lions at home go to 8-2. Next, we've got an AFC South matchup from Florida, where the Titans take on the Jaguars. Titans going to be without wide receiver Traylon Burks, who's in the concussion protocol, offensive lineman Andre Dillard, who's also in the concussion protocol, and corner Sean Murphy Bunting with a thumb injury. Questionable offensive lineman Daniel Brunskill with an ankle, and linebacker Luke Gifford with a shin. Jaguars going to be missing wide receiver slash special teamer Jamal Agnew with a shoulder and rib injury, as well as corner Tyson Campbell with a hammy. Questionable two more wideouts in Zay Jones with a knee and Parker Washington with a knee injury, as well as O-lineman Anton Harrison with a back and D-lineman Roy Robertson-Harris with an ankle. It's going to be a real tough task for Will Levis to go on the road, take down Jacksonville, who really, I believe, is the class of this division, and I don't think he can pull it off. Give me the Jaguars to win this one at home. Next, the L.A. Chargers head to, well, a place that they're probably not the most comfortable playing in the cold weather of Green Bay. The Chargers are going to be without tight end Gerald Everett in this one with a chest injury and safety JT Woods with an illness. Questionable running back Isaiah Spiller also with an illness and two wideouts in Keenan Allen battling that joint injury in his shoulder and Jalen Guyton with a groin. Packers on the other side have one listed as doubtful in safety Rudy Ford with a bicep injury. Questionable two linebackers in Rashawn Gary with a shoulder, Quay Walker with a groin and star corner Jair Alexander with a shoulder injury as well. I said it early in the season that if Jordan Love's going to be the guy, they don't necessarily need to make the playoffs. He doesn't necessarily need to have a world beaters tort of season, but they need to see flashes. This would be one of those situations where he could show him one. I don't, however, think that he will. Give me the Chargers to win one on the road. Next, we're looking at a matchup that sounded a lot worse at the beginning of the year than it is right now. The 2-8 Cardinals go on the road to take on the Houston Texans from Energy Stadium. Cardinals going to be without running back Amari DiMarcado with a toe, wide receiver Zach Paschal with a hammy, D-lineman John Ledbetter, and safety Joey Blunt with a knee. Questionable wide receiver Michael Wilson with a shoulder injury, 2-0 lineman in Tristan Cologne with a calf, and DJ Humphreys with an ankle. D-lineman Kevin Strong with a knee and linebacker Zeke Turner with a hammy. Texans on the other side going to be without their running back Damian Pierce with an ankle injury. Two linebackers in Jake Hansen and Henry To'o To'o, hamstring and concussion respectively. And two safeties in Graylin Arnold with a calf and Jimmy Ward with a hammy. Questionable even more for the Texans. Wide receiver Noah Brown with a knee injury. DN Will Anderson Jr. with a knee injury. And DN Dylan Horton also, you guessed it, with a knee injury. 
I know the Cardinals were able to kind of pull a rabbit out of a hat and come away with a victory last week against the Falcons. I got this Texans team being a little bit tougher to beat. The defense that D'Amico Ryans has crafted has been pretty darn good, and OCJ Stroud is under center for them. Give me the Texans to win this one at home. Interesting game. If the Titans can somehow pull one off against the Jaguars, this AFC South gets very, very interesting. I don't have it happening, but I do have Houston winning this one. Next, the Dallas Cowboys head to Carolina to take on the Panthers. Cowboys injury report is nice and short with an N slash A. Panthers, on the other hand, though, not so much. They're going to be without their starting tight end, Hayden Hurst, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as outside linebacker Marquise Haynes Sr. with a back injury, and two corners in J.C. Horn with a hammy and C.J. Henderson, who's also in the concussion protocol. Questionable, wide receiver LaVisca Chenault with an ankle, tight end Steven Sullivan with a shoulder, and fellow tight end Ian Thomas with a calf. On the defensive side, just one safety Xavier Woods with a thigh injury. We don't need to go into this one. As much as Dallas loves randomly, you know, playing down to their competition, they realistically haven't been doing that that much this year. I think Dallas wins this one on the road, and Carolina stays in line for the number one pick. Oh, that's right. The Bears stay in line for the number one pick. Our last one o'clock kick, speaking of teams that are underperforming, the New York Giants head to the DMV to take on the Washington Commanders. Giants going to be without O-lineman Ryan Neal with an ankle injury and DB Adoree Jackson, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable, their left tackle Andrew Thomas with a knee injury. Commanders going to be without backup running back Alex Arma with a hammy and DN James Smith-Williams with a hammy as well. Doubtful, one of their lead backs in Antonio Gibson with a toe injury. Unclear if having Daniel Jones out there would be beneficial or not for the Giants, considering Tommy DeVito, not Danny DeVito, as I was about to say, Tommy DeVito already leading the team in passing touchdowns this year. We'll see DeVito, and we'll see Sam Howell bring home a win for the Washington Commanders. Next, we move to our lone 405 kick as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head to Santa Clara to take on the 49ers, who appear to have gotten their groove back. Buccaneers going to be without safety Ryan Neal with a thumb injury. Questionable offensive lineman Matt Filer with a knee. Linebacker Devin White with a foot. And two corners in Carlton Davis with a toe and Josh Hayes with a concussion. 49ers going to be without two O-linemen and Aaron Banks with a toe and Nick Zakelj with a bicep injury. Questionable D-lineman Robert Beal with a hammy and two corners. Daryl Luter with a knee and Samuel Womack also with a knee injury. Somebody's got to win the NFC South. But it's going to be a little harder for Tampa Bay because I think they're going home with a loss to the 49ers this week. Next, we move to the 425 slate where the New York Jets head to actual New York Highmark Stadium in Orchard Park to take on the Buffalo Bills. Jets are going to be without tight end Kenny Yeboah with a hamstring injury, O-lineman Dwayne Brown with a hip, and Billy Turner with a finger, as well as Chaz Surratt with an ankle injury. Questionable. Former Rookie of the Year wide receiver Garrett Wilson with an elbow and D-lineman Will McDonald with an ankle. Bills, listing just two is questionable. Wide receiver Trent Sherfield with an ankle and D-lineman Jordan Phillips with a knee. Now, it's important to note that Josh Allen played one of, if not the worst games I have ever seen him play when they played the Jets in Week 1. That is very apparent, and it's, you know, Will, which, I should say which, uh, Josh Allen will show up for this game. 
I tend to think fresh off a loss, new OC, they'll have a little bit of that fake boost. It's a little bit of a placebo, right? Maybe they'll give it a go. But this Jets defense is still rough. However, their offense is a different kind of rough. Give me the Bills to sort of right the ship and stay in the playoff hunt by winning this one at home. Next, we have an NFC West matchup in our only other 425 game. Light afternoon slate this week. The Seattle Seahawks head to SoFi to take on the LA Rams. Seahawks going to be without wide receiver Dariq Young with an abdominal injury. Questionable. Fellow wide receiver Tyler Lockett with a hammy. Offensive lineman Abraham Lucas with a knee. Corner Trey Brown with a foot. And safety Jamal Adams with a knee as well. Rams, on the other hand, listing just one. DB Kobe Durant. Questionable with a shoulder injury. Now, Seattle has kind of done their business. And what do I mean by that? Well, if we take a look at the Seattle schedule, right? They beat the Commanders, a fellow wildcard contender. They get blown out by Baltimore. We know that. They beat Cleveland, an AFC wildcard contender. They beat the Cardinals, team who gave some teams a rough time. They lose to Cincinnati in a relatively close one. They beat the Giants. They should. They beat the Panthers. They should. They beat Detroit. After losing to the Rams in week one, by the way, they bounced back to beat Detroit on the road. Seattle, not necessarily in pole position, I would say, for the NFC wildcard spot, but they are certainly in the top six or seven of teams in the NFC, and, well, that's where you need to be to get into the playoffs. The problem for them, however, I just listed some really winnable games they've already had. They've got the Rams this week, and don't worry, Seattle fan, I've got Seattle winning this game on the road, However, then they've got the 49ers, then they go to Dallas, and then they go to San Francisco, and then they play Philly. And their final three are Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Arizona. Kyler Murray in that final game potentially playing as an audition to his next team, and Pittsburgh potentially still contending during that Week 17 matchup. It's going to be a rough road to the postseason for Seattle, if they're going to make it, they need to win games like this. Give me Gino to win this one on the road. Next, we head to Sunday night, where the Minnesota Vikings head to Denver to take on a revitalized wildcard contender in the Denver Broncos. I'm Ron Burgundy. The Minnesota Vikings going to be without their backup QB and Jaron Hall, who's still in the concussion protocol, as well as corner a Caleb Evans with a calf. Questionable. Another backup QB and Nick Mullins with a back injury, as well as running back Alexander Madison, who's fighting through the concussion protocol. Wide receiver Justin Jefferson with a hamstring injury he's coming back from off of IR. Offensive lineman Chris Reed with a foot, and linebacker Brian Asamoah with a second with an ankle. Broncos listing just one. They're going to be without safety P.J. Locke with an ankle injury. This is an interesting one to me, because Denver went from the team that was getting blown out and is a laughing stock to a team that's hanging in there with Buffalo and Kansas City. Do I think they're good enough to realistically consistently hang in there with those contenders? No. But they're too good to be giving up 70 points, because almost every NFL team is too good to be giving up 70 points. Unless there's a higher league we don't know about that they play on Mars. Anyway, I say all that to say this. This could be an actually decent game, right? Injuries notwithstanding for Minnesota, obviously you'd like to see Madison out there and the return of Justin Jefferson, but a Dobbs versus Wilson QB matchup could make this a little bit of a weird, close game. I don't think they're going to set any scoring records, but I will be tuning in a little bit harder than I was for Raiders-Jets. 
I say all that to say this. Give me the pastronaut, Josh Dobbs, to lead the Vikings to a win on the road. The Monday night football matchup, however, is a little bit better than the Sunday night matchup. The Philadelphia Eagles head to Arrowhead to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. Spicy matchup. Could be a game of the year sort of game. What do we see coming out of this one? Chiefs coming out of a bye. Usually Andy Reid out of a bye is tremendous. Andy Reid taking on his old team. I don't know. Realistically, if I'm being honest with you, I've got Philly winning this one. I've got Philly winning this one on the road. They've been more impressive to me this season. They truly have. Nothing against Kansas City. I think Kansas City is still in the upper echelon of the AFC, a crowded AFC, but they're still in there. They've earned their spot. But right now, I don't know. I've got Philly going in there and getting some revenge for a close Super Bowl, right? I've got them getting revenge on the road. That brings us to our usual Thursday slate of picks. However, we've got Thanksgiving in advance, in case I didn't say it earlier in the show. And if I don't say it in the close, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, however you're going about celebrating. If you're having some turkey, if you're having some takeout with some friends, whatever you're doing, give thanks for the people around you and the the things that, you know, on an everyday basis you might not think of that other people might not have in their lives. Or, you know what, the things that brighten your life up on a day-to-day basis. And I'm not talking about football. It could be anything. It could be your neighbor who lets you walk their dog. You know what I mean? It could be literally anything. Just let people know that you appreciate what they do for you and what they mean to you. And I say all that to say, let's pick some Turkey Day football. 12.30 p.m. Yes, you heard that right. 12.30 p.m. is our first game. The Green Bay Packers will be heading to Detroit to take on the division-leading Detroit Lions, and for one of the first times, I think in in a minute, I'm not sure if I picked them last year, I'm going to take Detroit to win on Thanksgiving. Next, we've got the Dallas Cowboy annual game. The Commanders head to Dallas to take on the Cowboys at 4.30 on Thanksgiving. I've got Dallas winning this one. The Commanders put up a really good fight against Philly. I'm not sure how that fight translates against Dallas. I like Sam Howell. I like what they've got. But considering they traded away Sweat and Young, it's gonna it's gonna get to you eventually. Give me Dallas to win at home as well. Then we've got an NFC West matchup to close our day. The 49ers taking on the Seattle Seahawks from Seattle at 8:20. This one's interesting. This is the beginning of that gauntlet I mentioned before for Pete Carroll Seahawks. They're gonna have to try and pick off a win or two in here. You'd think to try and confirm that they're getting in and not be playing late in the season just to get into the postseason, playing for seeding instead. However, I don't think they'll be able to do that in this one. Give me San Francisco on the road. Then we've got our Black Friday game. We usually record our episodes late Friday evening into Saturday early morning, I guess you could say with air quotes. Friday, 3 p.m. I believe this is exclusive to Prime. We've got the Miami Dolphins heading to New Jersey to take on the Zach Wilson-led Jets. Man, they were probably excited when they got this matchup for their prime Black Friday game. Then the Aaron Rodgers injury happened. Give me Miami to win this one and sneak away with a good deal on Black Friday against the Jets. That'll bring us to the end of the pick'em portion of this week's episode and the end 
of episode number 178 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Join us again next late Friday evening. We might actually sneak into Saturday considering it's a holiday sort of week. Keep you posted. Check out where you usually get this podcast and you'll see if we're up late Friday or if we're on into Saturday. Uh, Either way, have a happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Hope you enjoy all the football. There's going to be a lot of it. Enjoy all the food. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.